When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to More Than Amused Podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to More Than Amused Podcast. My name is Sadie. And I'm Stani, and welcome back. Today, we are talking all about the Olympics. Which, believe it or not, we were actually able to find pretty major and cool ways that the arts played a big role in the Olympics. And I say believe it or not, because it actually took a decent amount of digging and research in order to find what we were looking for, especially relating to women and the arts and the Olympics. Yes, definitely. However, it was there. It was there. Yeah, I found quite a bit once you start digging. But Mm -hmm. I think the craziest thing is the fact that when the Olympics started, it was never just a sporting event. Yes, there was art competitions at the Summer Olympics. Yeah. The International Olympic Committee founder, his name is Pierre de Coubertin, and (laughs) I found these articles. I think the main ones were from the Smithsonian and the Atlantic. And he talked about how his great dream was to marry the aesthetic with the athletic. Ah, <laughs> I like that. Right? I know. I was like, oh, that's a nice way of saying that. But yeah, his whole plan was to integrate art competitions into the Olympics. There was a quote that said he was raised and educated classically, and he was particularly impressed with the idea of what it meant to be a true Olympian, someone Mm. who is not only athletic, but skilled in music and literature. He felt that in order to recreate the events in modern times, it would be incomplete if not to include some aspect of the arts. Wow. Yeah. What a shame, then, that that did not persist. I know, and I think it's kind of cool because, like, I don't know that much about, like, ancient Greek Olympic competitions, Mm -mm. but that's what the Olympics are based on, and he basically was like, they were essential to the Olympiads of ancient Greece. It should be just as essential to us now. Yeah, and the art competitions were, though, they didn't last very long because it was from 1912 to 1948. They had five categories for architecture, literature, music, painting and sculpture i love that they had literature i don't know why i was so surprised that they had a literature category but i love that they did i know isn't it cool like they Mm -hmm. kind of covered every major facet in a way and it's cool like architecture as well like you wouldn't really expect that one either one thing i thought was cool about it is the whole idea behind it is it had to bear a definite relationship to the olympic concept Oh, yes. <laughs> so it like had to be about the Olympic Games themselves, like in connection to the sport somehow. I guess that makes sense because then it's like, at least it can maybe, I don't know, like how do you judge it if it's like, okay, submit your best artwork. Exactly. Some other things that are funny, they had a 
20,000 word limit on literature entries. They had three different categories within that for like dramatic, lyrical, and epic poetry. Mm -hmm. But then they weren't getting enough submissions some years. So then it was all in one. And then other times I was in three again, which is funny. What I thought was so funny about the music is that the juries often had trouble judging them because they were entered on paper. Like, I think you would just submit your scores. So (laughs) so because of that, I, I read this quote made me laugh. Possibly relating to the problematic judging, juries frequently decided to award only a few prizes. And apparently they were on two occasions that no award was given at all. And 1936 marked the only occasion when the winning musical works were actually played before an audience. (laughs) So I don't have any idea. I mean, I'm hoping that they had really great musicians, but even really good musicians, like looking at a score, like I feel like... You need to hear it in order yeah. to see it and experience it in its splendor. So that would that be so hard to judge a musical competition off of the score. I mean, like, granted, I'm sure the the logistics of doing it any other way would be very difficult because then it would have to yeah. be some type of way that everyone was there to perform. And in the early 1900s, there was an amazing recording technologies, if any. So like this was like the only way, but of course that did not work very well. That's crazy. Something else that was funny is that it had to be completed within the last four years. So I thought that was kind of cool. They Mm -hmm. gave them like four years, which makes sense. And one thing that stopped a lot of people from competing in it is that the art event and everything, like the whole art show competition was initiated by people who weren't really a part of the arts themselves. So they were like artists, musicians, and writers. And the fact that all the entries had to be sports themed. So a lot of people were like, I don't really want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. Because I was thinking of like of all the artists we've covered in this time period and not once has it like come up the Olympics. So I, yeah, I kind of figured that maybe this wasn't really a a big deal thing. Like all the major artists were participating in. I also read this thing about how like the Nazis took over one of the years when it was in their home country, they basically like distributed a bunch of propaganda to their own citizens to try and convince them to participate because a bunch of people didn't want to. And then they stacked the judge panel because the like home country had to provide like a certain amount of like a jury in order mm-hmm. to judge the art. And they <laughs> they basically stacked it with a bunch of Ger- German citizens. And so they ended up winning like all of the Olympic art medals. And they said they're the only country that ever did that besides the United States also did that and stacked their jury with a bunch of American. So that they would win. Yeah. Yeah. They did a lot of other stuff too, though. They like talked about how they completely took over this whole art Olympic competition the year that the Olympics were in Germany. Dang. (laughs) The thing that actually ended up killing it is so funny, but like not funny. It's sad, but like, crazy so the olympics themselves used to also do this it kind of happened at the same time they wanted to bar professional athletes and professional artists from participating oh so keep it just for amateurs yes they said it was illogical that professionals should compete at such exhibits and be awarded olympic medals and that was for both i Um, mean okay (laughs) But the hard part with that, so they were, like, trying to keep it pure. That was the reason they didn't want, like, money to be a part of anything. Mm. 
okay. however when you rule out all of the professional artists that's anybody who does art for a living which is also probably why we haven't heard about a lot of olympic artists that competed because anyone who was like a professional artist they couldn't even participate yeah when that happened of course it continued to make it so that nobody would want to do it because creating a piece of olympic inspired art is difficult enough and then taking away the people who are allowed to do art full-time as a job from yeah. that opportunity leaves practically nobody left. Another part that was hard is you talked about how the jury sometimes wouldn't award at all. Yeah. They kind of got even pickier with it because then it was like amateurs. So if they felt like the work of art wasn't good enough, then they just wouldn't hand out a medal at all. <laughs> because the people that were on the jury were all professional artists. Oh my god. So gosh. they're like, oh, well, this isn't good enough. Like we know what this field would require so like to give them an yeah dang yeah. that's insane so they basically ran into the issue of like no one wanted to compete in the art olympics anymore mm. and so they just got rid of them <laughs> i mean honestly like i like the concept of it but it does it does feel kind of weird you know that there yeah. would be an art portion that i don't feel like i miss that per se though it's cool to know that it existed exactly and they replaced it with something it's called the cultural olympiad it's basically just like a display of a bunch of like cultural and artistic things Hmm. that are within the host city well i feel like we will talk about it later in the episode like i feel like that's how the arts have like made their mark is in the whole olympics at all right like with the design and with the opening ceremonies and i feel like art becomes integrated in with them almost naturally yeah like they play a big enough part i think the sad part is is that in these olympic art competitions over the times that they were done the people that competed were awarded an olympic medal right yeah and that counted towards the country's current medal counts but when they got rid of the art competitions they struck those medals they did yeah from the olympic record so there's 151 olympic medalists in art that don't count to anyone because they got rid of it weird that surprises me that they would just retroactively like say that doesn't count now yeah and john copley of britain won a silver medal in 1948 and he was 73 years old it was for like this engraving of polo players and he would have been the oldest medalist in olympic history if his victory still counted wow yeah it's like man that's a record that like got taken away that's kind of yeah i feel like that's lame that they took it away because like i don't know do they ever adjust like the actual sports that are being played in the olympics if so then like do they take away the sports you know the gold medals who won for those sports previously that would be interesting because i think like being a jockey like you know like riding horses and stuff also used to be a part of the olympics and that's not a part of the olympics anymore oh so i wonder what happened to their medals unless it still is a part we just don't know about it (laughs) but as far as i know it's not i'm not not very well versed on my yeah olympian sports i guess but interesting what's sad too though is that a large portion of the artworks have been lost because like the significance was gone and it was all done pretty much by amateurs Mm. any poetry that was written any paintings and a lot of the sculpture documentation is gone so there's a bunch of art yeah Yeah. that we don't have record of anymore dang yeah i feel like 
that's fine get rid of it but like maybe get rid of it a little bit more gracefully exactly right instead of just being like well doesn't count anymore (laughs) goodbye erased from history (laughs) well and the fact too that like it took us so long doing our research to even stumble upon this like yeah how crazy is that of the amount of times i googled olympic and the word arts and this just did not show up at all and it's sad too that it's like so forgotten when the founder of the modern olympics literally said we're not going to do it without an art competition yeah that's That's true crazy too going back though to like the whole amateurs in the olympics i remember i once saw this i don't i don't know like tweet or something where they were like we should start having just normal people compete in every (laughs) single event you know just for comparison's (laughs) sake so we can like truly understand how amazing the olympians are for what they're doing oh for real because you're like a normal person running in a track race by like all those athletes and you're like oh wow they're really going fast Oh my gosh. It's hard to like see what it actually is like when they're all running against the top person in each country. Exactly. It's like, oh, they're trash. And it's like, oh, wait, let me compare that to a normal human being and see how good they are. Exactly. But yeah, I feel like it probably would have worked a lot better if they just would have let professional artists do it. Yeah, absolutely. And like maybe even found a way to... Like, it doesn't, obviously, I see the benefit of having a theme every year and having it be the same, but, like, maybe having it be a theme of the year, not just be like, oh, you have to draw people doing sports, or you know what I mean, something like that. Exactly. Like, I kind of think it would be cooler if it matched the host city, kind of like all the other Olympic branding does. Like, it can be a person from every single country still creating it, you know, and competing, but if it matches kind of that theme and idea that they have going for the host country... Yeah, because each Olympics has some type of theme. Yeah, they do. So it would be cool to see it, like, match that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would and be cool. And I kind of hate that we're missing out on this amazing worldwide art show. That's that's true. Like, how often would we, or when else do we get something like this? Never. Never. That's, that's a really good point. That would be yeah. very cool. So I don't know if anyone from the Olympic <laughs> board is listening to this podcast. That would be amazing. <laughs> um, welcome. And also... Happy you're here. <laughs> yeah. Also, maybe bring back art competitions. It sounds pretty cool, especially because now professional athletes are allowed in the Olympics. I think we could allow professional artists to compete. And it could be really cool. It could be really cool. And I feel like, too, that would probably be a way to, I don't know, make artists more, not common, but maybe more household names, too. Like, if you see the work in the Olympi, you know, in the Olympics. Yeah. Exactly. No, I completely agree. Because it's actually really hard in the modern art world to keep up with, like, who's popular and who's not. Just because it's, like, it's so big now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like art is a lot more accessible like, I don't really know a lot of modern art names. I don't either. <laughs> Most of the artists I know are dead. <laughs> so. yeah. And are people we have covered here on this podcast. Yeah. Besides, like, graphic designers. But, like, I had to dig for a whole other thing for that. So it it would be cool to be able to kind of see what was happening in the art world and what was like, And around created. the world, too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, to see artistic representation from every country that would be incredible and it would probably put a lot more value back in art programs man i'm just seeing a lot of benefits to putting (laughs) this back obviously not the way that it was before like that that was obviously flawed but let's bring back the art competitions to the arts i mean to the olympics and i mean like art's hard to judge it's way harder than like a race that is true but 
I mean, if you had a panel of people from every country that weren't affiliated in any way with the artist, and maybe they did it blind, just they don't know who's from what country. I'm trying to think of how they could make it fair. That's the one. That's the great <laughs> thing about sports. I will give sports this: is that you can be so objective. I mean, granted. I guess people would argue that with like referee calls and things like that. But for the most part, it's who ran the fastest, who swam the fastest, (laughs) who did the coolest trick. You know, like it's pretty, you can judge that. It's pretty easy. Whereas with the arts, it's so subjective. So that would be hard. But hey, with modern day technology, they wouldn't have to hand them sheet music. (laughs) They could actually play them I cannot even fathom that and also like (laughs) having to judge that it's like wow this song looks the most complicated so i guess the winner goes to this i have no idea no concept for how that would have been even a little bit successful (laughs) yeah that would be really hard also we have no idea even if any women competed i'm assuming but i know i there's nothing really that i could see i only found references to a few notable male artists exactly that's all i could see too nothing about a major woman artist but who knows maybe if they were letting amateurs participate mm-hmm. it's possible they could have women did as some. well but i don't know anyway petition to bring arts back to the olympics but absolutely <laughs> in the meantime i guess the rest of this episode's focused on all the ways it's still there so yes <laughs> exactly i love that (laughs) cool okay so one of the major ways that like art really plays a role in the olympics is through fashion Mm. which obviously everyone pays attention to but like you don't think about that really with the olympics no i i agree and it's kind of funny because just like everything in the olympics it originally wasn't really a thing Mm -hmm. Uh, obviously the olympics have been going on for quite a long time the first modern international summer olympics took place in athens greece in 1896 and for the opening ceremonies which is like the big fashion moment for every country mm-hmm. initially everyone just kind of wore business wear like they'd wear like a blazer and tailored pants and then the women would wear like a skirt and a mm. blouse and so there wasn't really anything to talk about because it was just like regular office wear you Mm -hmm. know so in 1956 the united states team decided that they wanted to kind of do something to set themselves apart Mm. in that opening ceremony kind of show like uh, we all know the united states has kind of an ego problem they wanted to (laughs) show their superiority give themselves like an edge in the competition from the very beginning so like come in looking better than everyone else so everyone else would be like oh that's the american that's the cool one yes (laughs) which i mean great competitive idea (laughs) yeah honestly i guess so so they created these like packages of clothing i guess like a little mini capsule wardrobe (laughs) okay yes (laughs) olympian and in charge of the female athletes was the renowned American designer Bonnie Cashin. And she's actually considered like the inventor of American sportswear, like oh. the pioneer, uh, which is obviously still a very big thing. Like sportswear continues to be a very big deal even today. And she had like this package for each female athlete that included a wool jersey coat for travel and for like the opening ceremony they had like a parade uniform with an olympic patch they had red leather pumps and even had an undergarment package and then the male athletes had a jacket shorts socks 
tailored pajamas for wow. both of them. <laughs> and everything that they would need as well. And so they were given these things and then they walked in to their opening ceremonies in their little matching outfits uniforms wow okay that's cool (laughs) and from then on pretty much every single country has done that every single country has from there on out and designers have continued to get more and more involved obviously there's been different variants like there's been casual and opening ceremony attire so if like the olympians are just walking around the country or whatever Uh they still have clothes that are provided for them for them to wear during the entire time and then they have their opening ceremony one which is obviously the nicer like more significant yeah and tons of people have participated in this levi like the jeans yeah (laughs) they did like a huge campaign for all casual wear one year obviously like adidas reebok because i feel like now they're probably like sponsored by like the brands Yes. Oh, surprisingly, one year, JCPenney did, like, a whole thing. Wow. And then, obviously, Ralph Lauren, like, the huge mm-hmm. American sportswear brand, has now stepped in and been, like, a very, very frequent official all-American style brands, which makes sense because he's an American designer, whereas Armani and Sophia Loren and Gucci, who are all Italian, often provide all of the stuff for their for countries the yes <laughs> there are collections that have like really nabbed the spotlight uh stella mccartney collection in 2012 and she worked alongside adidas for as well to outfit the british olympic and paralympic teams mm-hmm. and then also did like a bunch of olympic inspired runway trends for the public oh that's cool <laughs> It was super interesting. And then obviously it made major headlines last year with the Tokyo Summer Olympics that Kim Kardashian's Skims brand was providing all of the loungewear and underwear for Team USA. And they did that again for the Winter for this Olympics year. in China. Mm-hmm. I feel like the only thing that I have seen about the Olympics is that Kim Kardashian and Skims was like a part of it in some way. Yeah. So I guess good branding and, and marketing on their part. Oh, yeah. That's like a huge thing. So they like they basically put a bid in saying like, hey, we'd like to provide this. And then we're accepted and approved and then had to do like there's so many hoops you have to jump through to do all of this. Like brands are fighting over who gets to do these. Like yeah. they're not just because it's a big deal. That's a big contract. Like think of how many athletes they have. And then well, and of course, just how much immediate notoriety like when it's Mm -hmm. literally team usa or who whatever country is sponsoring or yeah it's amazing and be like oh we provided all of the pajamas and underwear for team usa like Like, that's a big deal yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) the best athletes in the country are going to be wearing your brand everywhere Mm -hmm. for a national event so not even national international event yes (laughs) so very big deal also obviously like the uniforms yeah. have like seen a lot of variations and oh, reinvention yeah. over the years. Vera Wang is known for like her figure skating costumes that she's done for multiple different people. She actually was like a professional figure skater herself, but she never qualified for the Olympic team. Oh, that's cool. But she's created like uniforms for them for years and this article i found talked about how like figure skating and fashion are like so intertwined that they're even judged on their uniform so it makes like oh i didn't know that yeah it's a part of their score like it's a huge thing i kind of think of it as like i don't know in pageants do they score them on like their dresses probably their appearance probably 
probably i i truthfully don't i don't know i'm the wrong person to ask, i don't though. know either but I, I imagine it's kind of that similar thing where it's like it ties into their score and so it also brought up like peggy fleming who I'm sure you've probably heard her name. Yes. She was a figure skater who won gold at the 1968 Olympics. She was known for like her figure skating looks. Oh. And they even compared her to like a Jackie O on ice. That's what they said. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And then, of course, you have like the other teams. You have the Olympic tennis players and how that kind of has also seen a fashion revolution. They <laughs> had like kind of a Princess Diana-esque ensemble in the 80s. It literally looked like a casual country where I'll post pictures of all of these because it okay, was hilarious. Good. And then, of course, now in like modern times, 21st centuries, like Lululemon craze, it's a lot more like sportswear, mm-hmm. tight fit, arms bare. Surprisingly, this is actually kind of something that's been the opposite. Instead of being more modest and getting more scandalous over the years, it it's backwards gymnastics uniforms the 1948 version of the gymnastics leotard was like tight fit bare arms bare legs and now they actually have a lot more athletes have long sleeves yeah and even some of them have long pants they brought up Svetlana Kurenkina I'm probably saying that wrong. I'm sorry. 1996 uniform. She added long sleeves. And then after that, now um, the entire German team actually wore full coverage unitards. Oh, wow. 2021. And the reason they they said that this happened is that women kind of fought against the sexualization of the sport because Mm. it doesn't affect performance in any way if your body's covered. Yeah. And so there's no point for you to like have it there. Yeah, if you don't need to. If you don't need to um Simone Biles has brought up that she prefers prefers not to wear like a full unitard like the legs but she even has long sleeves on a lot of hers but she supports other people who do so it's just kind of it's become a thing that whatever the athlete is comfortable with is yeah well I mean that sounds like a great way of doing it to me I agree swimming has been very interesting and (laughs) the first time women ever swam in the Olympics in water sports they weren't allowed to even wear swimsuits. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Fanny Dirac competed in non-waterproof clothing in <gasps> 1912. Comfort was not the priority, and it appears that drowning was not either. Hold on. This article said. Wait, but like, was she the only woman that did it, or was she competing against other women, and they all just wore what they... they yeah, they were all like wearing clothes. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, absolutely crazy. And it has a picture of them. They're, like, sopping wet. You can tell it's heavy. Yeah. But they weren't allowed to wear actual <laughs> swimsuits. So she's in... What could you compare it to? It's like a a tank top shorts yeah. kind of leotard thing. But it's not waterproof. And it's definitely not a swimsuit. That's, like, hilarious. But I also know that the motivation behind it is probably not very funny. But, like, I just can't believe yeah. that. And then, obviously, since then, swimming has struggled with having, like, proper uniform regulations just because there's always things that's, like, well, technologically, that provides an unfair advantage or, like, Mm. this does that or that does this because they don't let them wear, like, full-on body wetsuits because then they'd swim faster. But so that's still something that continues to kind of be fixed and worked upon is swimming in the Olympics. 
However, artistic swimming has had a major revolution, and they even have designed headpieces that look better underwater. And the artistic swimming is insane to watch because oh, they have the underwater cameras and everything. It's so too. cool. Yes. <laughs> it's really cool. Then, did you hear about like the the controversy with the beach handball team? I think so. Remind me of it, though. Yeah. So beach volleyball notoriously has the tiniest uniforms. Yes. Second place only to men's diving where they wear the Speedos, which I also find uncomfortable because they put the Olympic banner with their names and scores like right over where their Speedo is. (laughs) Have you seen those screenshots before? I don't think, I can't imagine that, but like (laughs) I I can't imagine what you're saying and like fair. It covers their entire swimsuit because their swimsuit is so small. So then if you walk past it literally looks like there's a guy standing there nude on international television there we go yeah so beach volleyball and men's diving both have really tiny uniforms the women's beach volleyball team dress in bikinis and beach volleyball is apparently they're allowed to wear whatever they want but beach handball is not so weird yeah which i don't understand yeah i'm very curious as to what the difference even would be i know that this was like major news headlines in the tokyo 2020 games or 2021 when they actually took place the beach handball team was fined for wanting to wear shorts and tank tops like the men wear instead of their sports bras and speedos I remember this now, Uh uh-huh. And so they got fined for it, but they did it anyway. And they were just kind of fighting against this idea that they have to wear that because if the men are able to wear something different, then obviously it has nothing to do with the sport itself and everything. Yeah, also, like, I don't know what, what, like, I can't imagine that's doing much for you. Like, it's hot, but you're also, like, falling on burning hot sand. Yeah. So I imagine wearing... A bikini doesn't really make it a more pleasant experience. Yeah, probably not. I can imagine. So, yeah, that was kind of like a huge scandal that happened in the last Olympics. But I hope that they revise the rules because obviously it's a problem. And then Florence Dolores Griffin Joyner, also known as Flojo, is a notable mention for like what happened with track and field fashion. Oh, she was an American track and field athlete setting world records in 1988 for both the 100 meter and the 200 meter. Oh, cool. And she became a fashion icon for her really long, colorful nails. She was running track and field, but she had these really long, really colorful nails. And if you notice now, a lot of the track and field stars of the women have colorful nails. They get their nails done for the Olympics. Oh, that's funny. I mean, I personally never noticed that, but like, how cool. Yeah, I noticed it in the Summer Olympics because I was watching and I was like, that kind of looks uncomfortable because you have to like put your hands down on the ground before you go off. And I was like, I would not want anything interfering with that at all. Yeah. But it makes sense. Like if they're wearing just their uniform, they don't get to dress up a lot of the other ways that a lot of the other sports get to. And so that's kind of their way of Of showing off their style. Which I guess is a good way of doing it. Because yeah, it's not like their fingernails are going to affect 
how fast they run or anything like that like that's the one thing that they probably don't have to worry about at all so exactly I love that so I thought that was kind of cool and obviously there's way more about her story and everything else if you google Flojo she has a whole thing that's really cool about how she got to the Olympics and everything mm-hmm. else. But yeah, became really known for her nails, which now are a major part of, I think, all of the Olympics for yeah. them to get their nails done if it doesn't interfere with their sport. Obviously. Yes, obviously, I'm sure that's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. So that's I kind of that. like fashion and the Olympics. And I'm sure they'll just continue to be more and more interesting every year. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and it's cool, like how many women led brands and, you know, mm-hmm. like the fact that a woman was the first one who designed that box or whatever for all those athletes back in the yeah. day. That's cool. No, it's really cool. We're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. So today I will be spotlighting an account I found on Instagram. That's Jess underscore can underscore illustrate. She is a del- digital creator her name is jessica shannon and i really love her stuff it is so beautiful and what i also love is that of course she has like commissions that you can do but if you go to her etsy shop she has so many prints stickers digital downloads like so many just beautiful ways that you can have her art but also if you go to buh, 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 buh. you can go to her there's also something that's like a soup plus sip, sepia i don't know exactly what that is but you can also get her artwork on pillows t-shirts all kinds of amazing things so and i i love it they're all so beautiful mm-hmm. they are really pretty love like lots of organic shapes yeah. and lines and just a really, very beautiful really distinct style which i love this one i don't know what it's called but it's the woman where her like she's like lifted up and there's blue eyeliner on it it's just very stunning oh yeah probably one of my favorite so pretty so i love that very so yes go check her out i love love it so much and again it's just jess underscore can underscore illustrate okay i found this person via tiktok Another creator shouted her out. Her name is Maris Jones, and she creates like little short films on Instagram. It's The Maris Jones. I love her bio. It says professional time traveler and mini movie maker. I do love that. Yeah. She created one that was like getting ready for a Valentine's date in the 70s or something like that. It's 1977, and you're getting ready for a Valentine's Day date. And it just looks all dreamy and pretty, Mm -hmm. and they're just really cool. She's also done, like, a lot of photo shoots, it looks like, and just a ton of other stuff, like winter coats throughout the decades, and then she shot it as if it was in each decade. I I love stuff like this. I think film is so innovative and incredible. Well, we shouted shouted out a short film director on last week's episode, and it's just... I don't know. Mm -hmm. I I mentioned it last week. It's just like so cool the different ways that people just create. I love it so much. I love it too. Mm -hmm. I just think it's so inspiring. Like the people they're like, oh, I'm not an artist. And it's like literally everyone's doing something (laughs) that like involves the arts. It's incredible. Anyway, so yeah, check her out at the Maris Jones. And yeah, if there's anyone we should shout out or if you want to shout out, let us know. Um, We'd love to support you in any way we can. All right, now back to the show. 
Well, I'm going to be talking a little bit about how music has played a role in the Olympics and the opening ceremonies. Music has always had a ceremonial role in the Olympic Games, and the competition has a very rich history of like having official songs, notable orchestra, and choral works inspired by sports. The world's most popular musicians like Stevie Wonder, the Spice Girl, the Kinks, Ray Davies, they've all performed at like the closing ceremonies and many of the best olympic music performances come from the events opening ceremonies etta james did a version of when the saints go marching in which she delivered in 1984 accompanied by a full gospel choir like there's a lot of really major musical moments that happen during those opening ceremonies and closing ceremonies that i think are really cool I'm going to specifically talk about the 2002 Winter Olympics because they were in Salt Lake City and that is where I call home and the amazing women who played a role in that. So the opening ceremonies, the women that were featured was Leanne Rimes and the Chicks, which were formerly known as the Dixie Chicks. I love the chicks. Mm -hmm. She actually sang the theme of the Olympics, Leanne Rimes, sorry, when she was just 20 years old is when she made this performance, which is so cool. (laughs) So young. That would be terrifying. I know. Literally, like, the entire world is watching you. No big deal. For the performance, she wore a beautiful long winter coat and was surrounded by hundreds of small children that were holding brightly lit lanterns. The song was called Light the Fire Within and was written by Linda Thompson and David Foster. And Linda Thompson, of course, is also a woman. So, you know, it's a cool way that a woman was involved both in the performance and the writing of that song. In 2018, she actually made an Instagram post about the experience, and she said, in honor of the Winter Olympics, I'm throwing it back to 2002 when I had the honor of opening the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City. It was an incredibly inspiring experience, and these kids were all my heroes. It was, in all caps, so cold, and we were all performing (laughs) on ice, which I'm like, oh my gosh, because I know, you know, Utah, winter, very cold. It gets cold. Mm -hmm. And she said, they were all such troopers. This performance will forever be one of my most incredible experiences I've ever had as an artist. I still cry watching it. Blessings to all the competitors and huge congrats to the gold medal winners. Which like, yeah, I feel like as an artist, like how much farther can you go than performing in the opening ceremonies for the Olympics? Like, I feel like that just puts down your mark as being a big deal, you know? Yeah, I feel like anything else you kind of do after that it would still be like a huge accomplishment but like but you performed at the olympics yes yeah like that's a marker like you reached a level of stardom yes then the country music band the chicks performed a rousing version of ready to run while dressed in woolly hats scarves thick winter coats the gala that was held on february evening it was watched by three billion people worldwide and i i love this quote from the article it said the chicks lead singer natalie mains rallied the crowd in the rice echo stadium with a cry of y'all ready as skaters dressed in prairie skirts and cowboy hats reenact the journey to the west by mormon pioneers this place rocks said chicks drummer rick sneeze which i wonder if that was a because it's like a big thing in utah that brigham young came into utah and said this is the place so i don't know if that's what she was like playing an homage to but i the opening ceremonies for utah was like you know sharing about how utah started so yeah which is how they do with all of them Mm -hmm. how they do what they do Do for all of them (laughs) but yeah so that was our good old home state and i'm glad that we had some incredible iconic women musicians lead the way in those opening ceremonies i found an article that was like the 25 best moments of the olympic opening ceremonies and i found a couple that i thought were cool that featured women so 
In Athens in 2004, Bjork debuted her single Oceania at the opening ceremony of the Summer Games in Athens. The song is, of course, noteworthy on its own, but what made it stand out was her performance. She had like a giant dress that doubled as a projection screen and the fabric rippled across the stadium and it displayed an image of the world map. So that's I'm imagining, cool. yeah, her skirt turned into the screen, and yeah, that sounds amazing. Damn, yeah, this one kind of makes me laugh. So in Rio 2016, I'm just I'm reading this paragraph because the way they said it made me giggle. Few people have the star power to steal a show by simply walking in a straight line, but that's exactly what Giselle accomplished at Rio's opening ceremony. All eyes were on the Brazilian supermodel as she strutted across the stadium's 400-foot catwalk, but she may have been enjoying her time in the spotlight a little too much. Her pace was so slow that an entire other scheduled segment had to be cut. Can you imagine being the one who was cut because Giselle walked too slowly But also, it's like, it's Giselle, so... (laughs) I... That made me giggle. But I'm like, well, it must have been very iconic, so... Mm -hmm. Good for her. We've talked about her in two weeks ago. Yeah, we talked about her last week. Yeah. Wasn't it last week? The marriage and misogyny part two episode. Because she makes more than Tom Brady, so... Shout out to her. And then this one was insane. Not necessarily a woman artist. In 2012 in London, James Bond and the Queen jumped from a helicopter to kick off the 2012 London Olympics. Okay, but the actual skydiving was done by stuntmen. But they like appeared together in footage before they aired the jump. So they made it seem that the Queen Elizabeth and Daniel Craig were jumping from this helicopter but actually ended up being done by stuntmen but like i mean she was she's old now i know 10 years ago she was still old 10 years ago i know but i i think that's so funny and the opening line for that is what's more british than james bond and the queen and you know what fair just another cool ways that women have made very big statements at the opening ceremonies i mean you know shout out to the queen for yeah (laughs) almost jumping from an airplane or a helicopter (laughs) about the 2022 olympics i looked through the opening ceremonies and i didn't really see anything that a woman did like i'm sure in the dance like the dancers i didn't watch them personally so i'm sure the dancers there were women but nothing was like headlined per se Mm -hmm. by a woman and during the parade of nations it provided a full list of the music that was playing in the background and it didn't feature any music by women composers if you're wondering it was just classical musicians by men a lot of like what you would expect you know like beethoven mozart and whatever but noted there were no women in it's 2022 i know but something cool is there was a composer musician that i found an article on and her name is jennifer thomas i think she is a composer who is from washington but her music was played during a figure skating routine for the u.s competitor karen chen on february 6th and this is just a couple quotes about it so she said it's definitely exciting for me it's always such a great honor to have my music used on a worldwide platform such as the olympics Chen, who is the figure skater, she made her Olympic team debut in the women's team short program and placed fifth to Clint Mansell's Requiem for a Dream. And then that was arranged and performed by Jennifer Thomas for her Illumination album. And the women's team won the silver medal. So what was so cool is she was watching the Olympics on TV when she heard the music 
playing and she thought wait a minute is that my music and sure enough it was and she said it was a total surprise because as far as I knew I wasn't expecting to hear my music in the Olympics which is cool she said that she has seen a global interest in her music go up she said most always it's whatever songs are being used in figure skating competitions throughout the world I've seen my streaming numbers also increase which is obviously a huge blessing for me as well and what I thought was so interesting is she said that she usually finds out along with everyone else quote I do follow figure skating though and I usually know who is using my music throughout the season but what I thought was interesting she made note that royalties are complex and the money paid by network goes to a blanket like public performance license royalty and then that's divided and paid out through the performing rights organizations and she said that it can take up to a year to be paid for things like that but she said that she personally sees herself being paid through exposure around the world and then quote honestly my joy comes from seeing it used in this beautiful artistic way And then she finds that being a part of the Olympics, of course, is an honor and helping her to check off some bucket list items. And then something that finished off the article, she said, I think now the only thing that could top this is for me to be one day to perform at the Olympics. I'm putting that out Mm -hmm. in the universe right now. So hopefully (laughs) she can get that. But I feel like that is like usually when people are like, you know, talking about, oh, but it's exposure to have your music used. Like usually I hate that. But I guess if the exposure is the olympics Olympics. (laughs) that's something that will pay itself back pretty good (laughs) yeah well it's so interesting actually how she talked about like the royalties because i would assume Mm -hmm. you'd have to contact them beforehand but it it just shows like the level of notoriety the olympics have that it's just like all kind of covered by one yeah because i'm sure like how it works is they just have to let and then nbc just like make sure that they pay it out so that they don't have to get the artist's individual permission But yeah, it's just crazy. That's so interesting. So yeah, there's just some different ways that women musicians and performers have been a part of the Olympics. Yeah. And I mean, music is obviously like a huge part of the Olympics for all of the performances that require it. And then all of the television programming the entire Mm -hmm. time and everything else. Yes. That's really cool. Okay. Well, last but definitely not least... I would be betraying my own profession if I didn't talk about the fact that graphic design is so huge when it comes to the Olympics. And I don't think people think about this at all. I I honestly, I definitely didn't before you brought it up for the first time. It's, It's huge. So I would say with full confidence, this is probably, no, this is <laughs> the biggest graphic design contract you could score yeah. in your life. And obviously one person is not doing it. They have an entire team of people who do it. I actually found this really cool thing. Now I want to go watch all of the videos on olympics.com. They have these videos that go into like the different design history behind a lot of the iconic Olympic Games. It's called Design Focus, the Olympic Games, and they go into just like their favorites. So they have Mexico 68, mm-hmm. Munchen 1972, LA 84, Salt Lake City 2002, Athens 2004, Beijing 2008, Vancouver 2010, London that's a bad logo because they didn't put their year there it is London 2012 we've got our graphic and designer <laughs> offering her I was critiques like, all the other ones have the year that one doesn't but that's so yeah funny. and then just also like the general overall like logos and how it all works and mm-hmm. everything and 
if you're wondering, yes, Salt Lake City is fantastic. <laughs> However, as far as I could tell, they didn't have a lot of women on their team, which is incredibly disappointing. But they did phenomenal. I actually think their mascots for the 2002 games are the best that they've ever had. It's, yes, even still, I mean, because you can go to so many ice sheets throughout Utah now, and there's still the old 2002 Olympic logos everywhere and mascots. And yeah, I love them. They're the cutest. They had the little bunny, the bear, and the fox? Or was it I think so. Something like that, yeah. A wolf or a fox. But anyway... Yeah, I would highly encourage you to just look up branding for a lot of these Olympic games. It's so interesting. Mm-hmm. But first off, like the Olympic logo itself has been around forever. And it was just based on patterns common in ancient Greece with the five rings representing Africa, Americas, Asia, Europe, and Oceania. One thing that's really cool about it is that every national flag in the world includes at least one of those five colors with the six colors, including the flag's white background, is a way that every single country is represented, which mm-hmm. is really cool. So you have like the blue and yellow of Sweden, blue and white of Greece, tricolor flags of France, England, and the United States, which are of course the red, white, and blue. You have Germany, Belgium, Italy, and Hungary with the yellow and red of Spain. And then even like innovative flags of Brazil and Australia, you have the green and the ancient Japan and modern China, you have red. So they're able to just represent everyone Mm -hmm. with six colors and five rings, which is incredible, actually. And that's why that logo continues to stand the test of time as the traditional Olympian logo, because it works so perfectly. However, on top of that, the design team each year for whatever Olympic they are doing, they also have to create like their own individual Olympic game logo. One thing that I thought was super interesting is the Olympics are the reasons that pictograms were invented. Uh, You know, when like you go to the store and the bathroom has like the little man and the little woman. Mm Yeah. That is a pictogram. Or if the airport, they're super common. They'll have like ones for the restroom. They'll have like the little suitcase for baggage claim. It's like a universal form of communication, right? It doesn't require any letters or languages. It's just like a little picture that everyone understands. And when the Olympics were first in Tokyo, I think is when it was, the design team was trying to figure out a way that they could communicate everything from like logos posters and also the different sports and everything else Mm -hmm. without having to include every single world language on signage yeah and so they originally came up with the idea of using a set of 59 pictograms with 20 different images of different sports that were included in the olympic competition as well as an additional 39 for wayfinding information It's like telephone, first aid, bank, restrooms. Yeah. And because of how successful it was and becoming like that universal form of communication and just like how well designed they were, it basically changed the way that signage was created throughout the entire world. Wait, really? And every other Olympic. Yeah. So those little like restrooms, like bank telephone all of those little pictograms we get so used to seeing now like even yeah. the little handicap one and everything all of those in some way are owed to the olympics wow because i guess that's true like what a unique problem the olympics would 
bring designers when it's like you can't just like type a word that says restrooms this way like you have to make sure that everyone completely understands what's going on based off of what they're seeing yeah and like such an ingenious way to fix the problem Mm -hmm. right (laughs) so yeah it's used now everywhere across the world especially with airports hotels and business centers where they're expecting a lot of international foot traffic because everyone now understands and it's a major part of the Olympic Games with every single Olympic Games now including their own set of pictograms. Cool. So that became like a thing with their graphic design. One of the major ones that was headed by a woman is Deborah Sussman, who did the Los Angeles 1984 Olympics. Obviously, she worked with a whole team, but she kind of headed it up. And they had a really tight schedule and a tighter budget because of a lot of other complications they had had. They were originally going with this whole, like, classic red, white, and blue deal. Oh, yeah. And then she came in with her team and was like, why don't we make it feel like Los Angeles instead? And there was a huge thing going through Los Angeles at the time called the California New Wave Movement. It was with like design, fashion, everything else, which was also kind of created by a woman, April Greenman, another graphic designer who kind of pioneered the West Coast California New Wave design movement. So they took that. Sussman called it festive federalism. And they used hot pink, orange, like Baja, Mexico, Southern California vibes Mm. and just really capitalized off of like that West Coast culture and feeling. Yeah. And it's still today recognized as one of the most iconic designs for the Olympics. Just imagine like bright colors, confetti. They used like these shipping tubes, like cardboard shipping tubes and fabric banners. They had like Hollywood stagecraft people come in and like literally create an entire set that looked like a hyped up version of Disneyland. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, just insane. I mean, I um, guess if you're going to have the games in Hollywood, like, let's capitalize on that. <laughs> oh, yes. They used everything they had. It was reported that they used all of the aluminum scaffolding west of the Mississippi in order to create <laughs> these structures. And something that was actually really cool about it, because they had such a tight budget and they weren't able to do a lot of the things that a lot of other countries do for Olympic Games. Instead of being able to build like permanent venues out of steel and concrete, they used like those shipping materials, aluminum scaffolding and other things to create like temporary, temporary solutions for this like huge iconic thing that was happening in their city. Yeah. That then created this whole aesthetic that became iconic. Hmm. That is cool. It worked out really well. And obviously, there's just so much that goes into graphic design with the Olympics. The medals are designed for every Olympic game by the graphic designers. So the medals are different every single time. If you actually want to look into the history of medal design for the Olympics, there's articles on just the medals. Wow. Um, Yeah, kind of a fun fact, though. Gold medals didn't even appear until 1904. Uh, Prior to that, Olympic winners all just received silver medals. Oh, really? Oh, that is interesting. Yeah, so gold wasn't even a thing until later. But now people, a lot, they don't even necessarily have a gold medal. Like, they'll be receiving the gold medal, but it won't even be 
actually gold interesting <laughs> they also can be like square or triangle or whatever and they're based on the culture of the host city just like everything else with the olympic branding so they're so graphic unique. designers are the unsung heroes of the olympic games <laughs> uh yeah because there's a way more they've got medals mascots signage any of the merch like t-shirts pins uh <laughs> the iconic 2002 salt lake city berets Oh yeah, <laughs> do you remember? Those? I, I I do actually. <laughs> oh, such an early two thousands thing, but they were like a major hot ticket item. Mm-hmm. I think my parents still have one somewhere in their garage. And then, of course, like I talked about the pictograms that they now have a full set for, and every time a new sport is added, that's another pictogram Bing for it. Yeah. Actually, Tokyo, because they did last year's, you know, uh, uh-huh. Summer Olympics. Because they were the ones who kind of invented the whole ideas of pictograms the first time they hosted. Yeah. This last time they did moving pictograms. Oh, So cool. each sport, yeah, had its own pictogram and then it like competed the sport and it was really, really cool. And then they have the logo, emblems, and then tickets, meal vouchers, uniforms, pin. Like there's so much that goes mm-hmm. into this literally every single detail from what shows up on your tv screen to what the athlete has behind them when they're competing yeah to what the athlete is wearing to what they win what they hand to them at the end the papers everything it's all branded by a huge team of graphic designers which is really cool yeah but they definitely need more women because most of the creative directors of graphic design for the olympics have been men even up to recent years interesting that was kind of a downside but very very cool what happens yeah and it's cool too just because like obviously like we said when you think of the olympics you don't think about the art for the olympics but it just it's a good reminder that like we all need art art is around Mm -hmm. us even you know even the athletes need us (laughs) oh yeah it's infused in every aspect of our life Mm -hmm. it's just invisible And that's kind of the point, right? Like, they don't want that to be the focus. They want the games to be the focus. Yeah, of course. But then it still has to serve the purpose of the games. Which is awesome. So, yeah. Just really cool, like, the roles that fashion, graphic design, and music can play in all of the Olympic Games. Yeah, it is amazing. Cool. Well, I guess that's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you will learn something new. And I guess here's to hoping that we will see more women artists involved in the Olympics in future years. I was going to say, I hope you enjoy watching them, but now that they're over, so I, I hope if you did watch them, hope you enjoyed them. It's mm-hmm. very cool what Olympians do will do. Honestly, in the Tokyo Games, I watched just a couple games or whatever, and watching people get their medals, like it just, it makes me cry every time because right? they're so happy. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, these people have worked their entire lives dedicated to this sport and they just want a medal so every time I watch the Olympics I get very very emotional maybe that's why I don't watch it because sometimes it's just a <laughs> lot of <laughs> a lot of yeah. emotional labor that I'm like nope I can't do that it's very very touching for it sure. really is. everything that happens it's just incredible well we will be back next week with a- another episode we'll actually have a bonus episode coming out later this week so watch out for that and i think that's it don't forget to rate and review if you're liking the podcast share it with a friend follow us on instagram we're at more than amused.podcast we'll be posting 
a ton of photos and other things, especially this week more yes. than the other. So yeah, follow along. Come be a part of this. We love having you all here. Yes. Talk to you next week. Bye. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.